as we begin a new message series this morning through the Gospel of John, um, the Seeker's Prayer. Will you open your heart and pray with me from your heart? God, I don't know if you exist, and if you do, whether you hear me. But if you do exist, and if you do hear me, I want you to know that I'm an honest seeker after truth. That the Gospel of John can really speak to me and show me that Jesus is God. That I ask you to prove that to me while I read it. And if you prove it, I will believe in him and serve him forever. Amen. Please have a seat. I'm convinced that great stories have great beginnings. You know what I'm saying? Okay, here's a quiz. I'm going to read a couple of first lines of great stories, and you try and guess what the story is. Extra points if you know the author. Okay, you ready? Chug, 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 puff, 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 ding, dong, ding, dong. The little engine that could, nice. The sun did not shine, it was too wet to play, so we sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. I sat there with Sally, we sat here, we too, and we said, how we wish we had something to do. The cat in the hat, nice. Y'all are readers. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy. Lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Okay, ready? Now we got you, now we got you through high school. I'm going to amp it up a little bit. Okay? In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. The hobbit. Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Ooh, we even got an author over here. All right. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Harry Potter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Gospel of John, yeah. The Gospel of John. As we begin to think about the Gospel of John, I wonder what John was thinking about when he sat down to write what he knew to be the greatest story that would ever be told in all of human history. The story about the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who appeared in the flesh. What do you think John was thinking when he began to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the testimony of who Jesus is and how that makes all the difference in the world? John's old now. It's been nearly 60 years after Jesus' 
death, and resurrection. That means it was nearly 60 years after Pentecost. So the message was being shared and evangelism was leading to discipleship and disciples were banding together in worshiping community and worshiping community was multiplying and new expressions of the church were popping up all around the Mediterranean. What would John say? Mark had already written a short, pretty chronological gospel. Matthew had written a gospel primarily to the Jews. Luke, who is a Gentile and a doctor, wrote a gospel accordingly. What would John say? John, a fisherman, a radically transformed son of thunder, the disciple Jesus loved. What would John say about Jesus? It's beautiful, isn't it? John begins his gospel by setting Jesus against the widest possible horizon, the biggest and the greatest canvas. John identifies Jesus as God. He begins at the beginning with the hero of the story, the one he knows personally, the one who had captured his heart and radically changed his life for the good. That's where John begins. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter one, verses one and two. I wanna encourage us as we move through the gospel of John together to do that with open Bibles uh, with pens, with paper. If, uh, if you bring your own Bible, wonderful. If you want one of those blue Bibles, if you look back on that cart, you see that cart back there? There are blue Bibles there. Uh, there are blue Bibles in your chair. And on, in your blue Bibles, John chapter one is on page 886. 886. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The greatest opening sentences of the greatest story ever told. And you notice how this poetic prologue mirrors Genesis chapter 1, don't you? Now, on the one hand, This is the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of the story of Israel. That's what the gospel is. All the stories from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and David and Isaiah and Daniel and Nehemiah and Micah, all of the stories of Israel point to and find their meaning in Jesus. The story of Jesus is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. That's why last year we spent time going through the story of God so that we understand the gospel is not just a personal experience. It is the fulfillment of what God has been up to all along from the beginning, and it culminates in a person, and his name is Jesus who is God. Now, on the other hand, the story uh, of Jesus is the story of new beginnings. 
It's the story of how God brings us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. Because in Jesus, the beginning is fulfilled and the new is poured out on all. So it's significant to note that John is describing the divinity of Jesus as the culmination and climax of history. And that description is connecting primarily with two types of people. John's describing the divinity of Jesus in a way that connects with his first century audience, okay? A Jew and a Greek. So for the Jew, what John's going to be doing throughout this gospel is explaining and testifying to how Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who is with the Father and the Spirit in Genesis 1 and all along, the word that the Father spoke at creation, the very image of God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and the long-awaited Messiah. This is who Jesus is for the Jew. And for the Greek, John is going to explain how Jesus is the Lagos. Lagos is the Greek word for the word, word. I wanted to say the word, word, four times in one sentence. So a little aside here, beginning about 300 years before uh, Jesus took on flesh, the idea of logos became prominent in Greek philosophy. Logos referred to the universal divine reason. Disconnected from the material world, but attainable with a special kind of knowledge, the Greek word for which is gnosis. Logos was thought to be the source of meaning and wisdom and the shaping, ordering, directing influence of the universe. And so where John is going with his gospel is that fulfilling Greek philosophy, much like Paul would later do at Mars Hill to the temple of the unknown God, filling Greek philosophy, John is saying that Logos that you're learning about, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is a supreme being in who resides all meaning and all wisdom. Jesus is the shaping, ordering, directing influence of the entire universe. And so in stark contrast with Greek philosophy, Jesus doesn't remain outside the material world, but John's going to make sure that he emphasizes that the Logos takes on human flesh and becomes part of it so that the Logos could be fully known and related to and enjoyed by all who believe in him. So there is a Jew and there is a Greek And then there are a bunch of Americans in San Antonio as we journey through this. So what we're going to do is we're going to have to put on our Jewish lenses as we go through the Gospel of John. And we're going to have to don our Greek philosopher's cap as we enter into this story to see this Jesus that 
John is testifying all about. So let's get at it. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Um, in describing Jesus as God, God G- John's going to look at Jesus from three different perspectives. That Jesus is preexistent, that Jesus is coexistent, and that Jesus is ultra-existent. And by doing this, he's taking out the guesswork. John's introducing us to Jesus and explaining why he is God, preparing us to see and believe throughout the gospel all of who Jesus is and everything he says and everything he does that we might believe. And so he begins with Jesus' preexistence. In the beginning was the word. John's emphasizing that Jesus has always existed. In the beginning, Jesus Christ was already there. He was not created. He always was and is and forever will be. Now, this is very difficult for us as creatures of God, bound by time and space, to get our finite mind around. I don't even have a good illustration for this, but I'm going to give one anyway. When I was in about sixth grade, I got one of the first and greatest gifts that I ever got. I got my dad's bedroom furniture. When he was a little boy growing up in Kansas, he had a bed and a desk and a dresser that was in his room. And when I was in about the first grade, I got my dad's bed and his dresser and his desk in my room. And one day when Ben was old enough, he got his grandfather's and his dad's bed and dresser and desk in his room. And it's hard for me to think about that bed and that dresser and that desk before me. And it is hard for Ben to think about that bed and that dresser and that desk before him, much less before me, because we exist in time and space. But Jesus does not. There was never a time when he wasn't. He sees all and knows all, and everything that is and was and forever will be is radically dependent upon him. Okay, so just to um, work out my brain cramp here, um, how awesome do you have to be to have always existed? Like Jesus has always existed even before he created the concept of time. How awesome do you have to be to be the entrepreneur that invented time? That's why at the end of his earthly ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory of I had with you before the world began. This this just makes my heart well up with worship and praise and adoration because we know the one who creates time and has all of time in his hand. Jesus controls 
time and all time submits to his authority. And that's really important because what that means is that time is not the enemy. Because the one who created it can redeem it. And the one who placed you within it can securely bring you out of it into his presence for all eternity. Time is a gift, and it's intended for our good. It's not something to be feared. And so in Christ, we become good stewards of the time that we've been given for his glory and for our fulfillment. Look at your watch. I know you're not supposed to look at your watch in worship, especially when the guy's preaching, but look at your watch. Who controls the tick? Who controls the tick? Jesus. He controls the tick. Jesus is preexistent. The second perspective that John is helping us see Jesus is uh, that Jesus is coexistent. The word was with God. Jesus has always been with God in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, side by side, living and moving and acting in oneness and complete unity together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word was with God. This again is a little bit difficult for us to um, grasp with our limited mind. But today we say things like, are you with me? Like, are, are you with me? And by that, what we're asking is, are, are we on the same team? Are we working off the same page here? Are we after the same purpose with the same heart and mind, expecting the same positive results? Are you, are you with me? And that's kind of what it means for the Father and the Son to be with one another in the Spirit. It's kind of like Batman and Robin, or Simon and Garfunkel, or Frodo and Sam. How about chips and salsa? Mac and cheese? Chandler and Joey? Me and Brian? You, you can't have one without the other. Like, like they, they complete each other. How many of y'all have seen or used to watch the show Cheers? All right, Cliff and Norm.
uh, I'm not sure that really communicates, but it's so funny I had to show it. <laughs> the point is, is that the Father and the Son complete one another. They go together perfectly. There's not one without the other. And, and, and that's really what it means for Jesus to be with God in the beginning. Um, they are one in vision and in values. They are one in reason and in relationship. Now, here's why that's so amazing. And why it continues to just well up in my heart and it makes me want to praise the Lord and adore him and worship him is that Jesus invites us to share with him in this relationship. Jesus comes to earth and shares our humanity to die on a cross to heal our broken relationship with God so that we can forever be a part of God's life the way he intends it. Now, how gracious do you have to be to have the best friend and father in the universe and not want to hoard that relationship for yourself, but rather to humble yourself and to suffer and to die in order to share the best father and friend in the universe with anyone who believes. How gracious is the Lord. And that's why John makes sure to include Jesus' prayer in the garden on the night before he was handed over to suffering and death for our sake. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. So the world will believe you sent me. This is so critical. Such a significant foundational aspect of the gospel. Through a relationship with Jesus, we're invited to participate in divine community. Now, if you look at 1 John, in your blue Bibles on page 1021, or just listen, when John writes his pastoral letter, he emphasizes this invitation. Listen to how John describes the invitation to participation in divine fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit that we are invited to through Jesus. John says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Now get this. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, 
and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. How awesome is God that he would not only want to make himself known to us, but that he wants to fully share himself with us, that we could experience his life and his love here and now and forever to the full. Jesus is preexistent, Jesus is coexistent, and Jesus is ultra-existent. The Word was God. Jesus Christ is God's Word. What do words do? Words reveal the heart. And so Jesus, as the Word, both demonstrates and communicates the heart of the Father. Jesus is the heart of God the Father revealed in action. John's saying that the Father and the Son are two distinct persons, but they are one with each other. And that it is the role of the Word to communicate the Father's heart as they are on the same mission with the same vision and the oneness of the Godhead. This is why Jesus can tell Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's why Paul teaches the Colossians that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And it's why the author of Hebrews states, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That just, that just wells up in my heart and leads me to worship and adore and praise the one who was and is and forever will be. Do you, do you realize what this means? What John is saying is that we can truly know God. We don't have to wonder what God is like. We don't have to wonder what God desires. We don't have to wonder what God is up to because Jesus has shown us. Jesus, who is God, makes God fully known. To know God is to know Jesus and to know Jesus is to know God. Think about it this way. When you first discovered that Clark Kent is really Superman, doesn't it change the story for you? <laughs> yeah, you're with me. Or with me. It does, doesn't it? It's like, Oh, yeah, he's Superman, even with, the, even with the glasses and the work suit. Like, that's the guy who is faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive and able to leap tall, sting, tall, tall buildings in a single bound, right? Like, 
Clark Kent is Superman. And when you figure out that Clark Kent is Superman, don't you feel a little bit more secure whenever Clark Kent's around? You do. It changes the whole story. It takes away your fear. It takes away your anxiety. It's like, this is going to be good. Everything's going to work out. But you know what? That ain't nothing. Because Jesus is the God-man. And that means that he's able to bear our burdens. He's able to forgive our sin. He's able to heal our hurts. He's able to save our souls. Because he's the God-man. And this is why John says that he writes the gospel. He gives it away in chapter 20, verse 31, where he says this, these are written, these stories, these testimonies, these healings, these miracles, these teachings, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. For Jew, for Greek. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, that's what we're gonna do. We're going to read and engage the gospel of John together, asking the Holy Spirit to help us see Jesus, know Jesus, and experience life in his name. And I want to invite you, as we begin this journey together, to commit to three things. Three things that uh, the Lord will use to help you see and know and worship him. The first is this. Read the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, you see that stack of blue Bibles back there? Please take one. If you're reading uh, the Gospel of John with someone else this fall that doesn't have a Bible, take one of those blue Bibles and give them to give it to them. Okay? Read the Gospel of John. Don't read about the gospel of John only. Don't read what other people think and what other people are writing about the gospel of John only. Open up the Bible, the gospel of John, the holy scriptures inspired by God for our teaching and learning and building up in the, in the faith. Open the scriptures in your times of personal devotion and ask the Holy Spirit to make the scriptures come alive that in them you might find Jesus and he might find you. Second, I want to encourage you to actively engage not only in your times of personal devotion but in your times here during the message on Sundays. During the sermon time. And I want to ask you to engage uh, the preach, the proclaim word of God with the open Bible, with a pen or a pencil, and with a journal. Get a spiral, get a notebook, get something and bring it with you with your Bible and take notes. Write down 
what you hear, write down your thoughts, write down your reflection, write down what stands out to you, write down how God is speaking to you, write down prayers, write down your questions. Mark and learn and inwardly digest who Jesus is and who you are because Jesus was and is and forever will be. Third, participate in the ongoing sharing of the gospel with your spouse or your roommate, uh, with your family around the dinner table or on the weekends or in the morning before school. Participate in a life group. Um, Go to coffee with someone. We need a buddy as we journey in discipleship. And so I want to encourage you that as you participate with your spouse or your family or your friend or your roommate or your neighbor or your buddy, um, that you would do so with an open, an honest, and a vulnerable attitude. Share your insights. Talk about your questions. Allow how Jesus is making himself known to you and what that is doing in your heart be known to somebody else. And apply together what it means to come to Jesus and to imitate Jesus and what that means to continue Jesus' mission and ministry. Read and journal and participate. And I think as we do that together as a family, as those who are following Jesus with grace, we're going to have life and life to the full. And that's the invitation as we come to Jesus around his table, remembering that he is God and praising him who was and is and forever will be and trusting his promise and walking in and responding gratefully to his invitation that he is the bread of life and that when we come to him, we will no longer spiritually hunger. And when we come to him, when we believe in him, we will no longer spiritually thirst because he satisfies the depths and the longings of our soul with real abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your amazing grace and for making yourself known to us in your Son. And so, Lord, as we begin this journey, we ask by the leading of your Holy Spirit that we would see him, that we would hear him, that we would know him, and that for our freedom and joy, we will experience life in his name, life to the full. For your glory, Father, And for our joy, we pray in his name. Amen.